Hello and welcome along to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast, the podcast exclusively dedicated to the Copa Libertadores, the greatest competition in South American club football. And myself, David Windsor, and Mr. Oliver Wilson were, as we always do, dissecting the games from this week. And we really are at the business end of the tournament because it was the first legs of the semi-final clashes. We had River Plate nil, Palmeiras three, and Boca Juniors nil, Santos Neil, Ollie, we dove into the games, we talked tactics, we talked uh, players, we had predictions, a little bit of everything and everything set up for the second legs as well. Yeah, we still managed to relate it back to a bit of bitching and moaning about some European football stuff and weird free kicks and penalties and panenkas from last season moaning about that. So it feels like as we reach the end of the tournament, the podcast is almost going full circle from about 18 months ago <laughs> and we we kind of wrapping it all up nicely. But yeah, I mean... Two very different games, two very different semi-finals this week that we spoke about. One definitely for the purists, another definitely for football fans alike, and some late nights this week. So that was uh, interesting. Oli, you stayed up for the first leg of River Palmeiras, which kicked off half past midnight UK time. River 3-0 down ahead of the second leg. But you're going to be staying up for the second leg too, obviously. Of course. I mean, I'm really glad that I stayed up (laughs) until half two in the morning to watch that and didn't stay up till half two in the morning to sure. watch Boca against Santos play out a nil-nil draw. So I think the footballing gods were with me this week, whether they'll stay with me. I like how we, we were kind of pinging WhatsApps to each other in the in the Boca-Santos game. Then there was a lull of about 20 minutes and you just sent me a message being like, this is one for the Libertadores purists, isn't it? <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> it's like, yeah, definitely. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the pod. <laughs> Pulling it back to the edge of the box. Oh, that is an absolute scorcher. Matthias Enrique has never scored in continental competitions. He has now. Aranga pulls the trigger and delivers on Binacional's Libertadores debut. They lead against Sao Paulo. A racing club look like they're going to be the only Argentinian side to win in week one. Of the Copa Libertadores group stage. We really wanted to watch, wasn't it? Last week, we said we had chalk and cheese semi-finals. River Palmeiras was going to be the exciting one. It was pretty good. It was pretty good to watch. It was. It was you know what I wrote down, Ollie, just two minutes before uh, we loaded up the Zoom call? I just wrote down all good things, dot, dot, dot. And just from a Marcelo Gachado perspective, it might have been a case, you pointed towards it last week, it just might have been a case that all good things do come to an end. And, you know, he joined the club in 2014 as a manager, 10 trophies, two Libertadores titles. The 2018 win, even though Bock and River will meet each other again in the Libertadores and potentially in finals, that game will be remembered for 100 years. And Gachado's legacy is set in stone. And... Perhaps he has, as you suggested last week, squeezed every last drop he possibly could out of this squad, out of his tenure at River. And it is, you know, all good things. It comes to an end and and he will go onwards and upwards. River Plate Football Club are too big. They will also go onwards in in a different direction. So even though, you know, we're going to go on and talk about and dissect what actually happened in the game, Ollie, and River did have their chances in the game. But just as an overarching thought, and before we talk about Palmeiras as well, for Marcelo Gachado, perhaps, you know, all good things come to an end. It, it was the one that he pushed too much for, perhaps. The one that every genius ends up being the architect of their own downfall. 
and he just wanted it the ride to last perhaps one year too many and to be that figure and kind of he already is that figure but he wants to cement it as being the greatest and i just wonder it's not over but it's it's not good. It's it's pretty close <laughs> to being over. He also uh, last week you were you were given the kind of boxing analogy of the boxer just going back for their last big fight, and 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 I totally got that as an analogy. But when you look at Gashado on the touchline, Ollie, this forty-four-year-old man in this beautiful suit with that lovely January Buenos Aires tan as well, like peak of the Argentine side. I mean, he looked the part, didn't he? Like, I know his side's lost 3-0 at home, but he looked the part. So so that's that's where the analogy kind of goes off in a different direction, I think. But but yeah, my, my, my thoughts were just, it was, um yeah, it felt perhaps like, a, bar a minor miracle in Brazil, the end of an era. It's not Gachado that's the punch-drunk uh, punch boxer. It's River <laughs> that's the punch-drunk boxer. Gachado is still, I mean, 44 years old, he's still a young man in this game. Like There is a lot more of his managerial career still to go. But it's this group of players that I think have just been, that he's dragging on for that one last ride and, and to see if it can go all the way. And it just didn't prove to be the case in the first leg against Palmeiras. Before we jump into the uh, the match itself, Ollie, in the 90 minutes, let's, let's have a listen to the highlights of how it went. River Plate nil, Palmeiras 3 in the first leg of their semi-final. River con su indumentaria tradicional, Palmeiras también con su uniforme tradicional, comienza la semifinal de la Copa Libertadores. Sale Frau, qué enredado que estuvo el remate. No buscó la pelota. Yo creo que le va a mostrar amarilla. No, es roja directa. Sí, no está sé bien. si se puede discutir. Está bien. Gustavo Gómez, también Alan. Muy bien, el centro del área. So those were the goals from the game. Palmeiras beating River 3-0. Only comprehensive in terms of the scoreline, but might be a few little what-if moments in there for River. There's a lot of what-if moments, uh, particularly from the first 20 minutes or so, and the way that Weverton played between the posts for Palmeiras. is an unbelievable save that he makes very early on. I can't remember if it was um, Suarez at the near post that ended up fluffing his lines right in front of the goalkeeper. And it's a, it's a fine stop by Weverton to, to keep it out. I think as well, defensively, River will look and say that in some ways they were the architects of their own downfall. Yeah, Armani has this absolute clangor that leads to the, the ball dropping to Honey on the uh, edge of the 18-yard box. And I will say, with the opening goal after 27 minutes, that's a shot that we've seen in South American football get rushed and ballooned over the bar time and time again those sorts of opportunities and he does really well just to stay cool and, and put it home uh, the second goal Luis Adriano just turns his man far too easily I think it's Rojas who gets done 
just on the edge yeah. of the the center circle and river are playing so high up the pitch that once adriano gets in behind it it's game over a striker of his quality is always going to finish and then you have the sending off of jorge carrascal uh, which was definitely a red card in my opinion it leads not only to river being down to 10 men but to the free kick that mateus vinha heads home from there were chances for River. They didn't take them when they had the opportunities early on. And by the time we hit the hour mark, the game was pretty much completely out of their own hands. Oh, that first goal. Do you completely blame Armani? Because it just sort it looked to me like just Rojas and Armani just didn't almost trust each other. It was a really odd, it's a really weird moment, isn't it? Where Armani comes out inside the penalty area. Both, like, either could have dealt with it. But in the end, neither did. And Armani just fed it into the path of Ronnie. And it's a good finish. And even then after that, actually, when Ronnie strikes the ball, Armani doesn't quite set himself adequately. So I don't know. But, it, you know, it was a mess between the pair of them and, and really put River on the back foot. And then the second goal, Rojas just gets, he just gets turned, as you say, so high up the pitch. Why is he so tight to Luis Adriano that high up the pitch? Is it because he doesn't trust himself in terms of pace? And I also thought, does that happen to Martinez Quarta? You know, mm. former River centre-back who, who left not so long ago. Does that happen to Martinez Quarta? Probably not for me. So, yeah, the first two goals, defensive errors. I think, um, I mean, you could argue if it if it happens to either Paulo Diaz as well, who came off the bench yeah. for River, you yeah, know, yeah. Might, may have been a little more astute in that in that moment. Um, yeah. Those are going to be ifs that River fans will be asking themselves for a long time. I think with the first goal, you do have to put the blame on, on Armani because even if he's not too sure about what his defender's going to do. It's a goalkeeper's job, isn't it? To take control in those situations. You want him to be the authority, whether it's telling the defender exactly what to do or whether it's him committing to make sure. And in a big semi-final game, yes, it's the first leg. Yes, okay, it's still relatively early on in the game. But you, you look to someone like Armani with all the experience as well to be that controlling figure. And if he's not that controlling and commanding, you know, it causes problems and it caused a, a very big problem and uh, and Ronnie tucks it home. Um, you can look at all of the downfalls for, for River in that game. I also think, though, like watching it, Palmeiras were really good and that shouldn't be underestimated just how good they were, even with a change of system as well, which I was really impressed with, going with three at the back. Uh, Gabriel Menino on the right and uh, Matias Vigna on the left, both excellent at getting forward, but supporting the defensive three. We spoke about how both of these sides are great going forward. and It would be interesting to see how Palmeiras would adapt defensively to the prowess that River have up top. And they adapted with a system that completely snuffed out a lot of opportunities after a while. River had pressure, but after the first half hour, there weren't many clear-cut strikes. There weren't many saves that Weverton was really forced to make that were of any sort of taxing... Uh, on his abilities so I I think they were actually really good value on the road and it was the kind of performance we wanted to see when they played Libertad on the road you know we didn't want to see yeah. them settling off and settling uh, and Rivers High Line played into their hands with with Ronnie Gustavo Scarpa and Luis Adriano as the, the the arrow front three going forward you look at this Palmeira side now Ollie is anything less than lifting the title at the Maracan are just a huge disappointment it should be I mean, yeah. if they don't go through, that's a disaster, obviously. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. And don't get me wrong, there's a little bit of me that still thinks, like, you know, he is, it is that punch-drunk fighter, but Football's, he's still yeah. got a knockout blow in him, surely, somewhere. They still have the quality. But um, I think when you look at the two sides that they could face in the final, if they do ensure they get there, you would fancy Palmeiras to beat both of them. 
Now, whether it's better the devil you know with Santos, and and that perhaps is a, a more difficult problem, I think, for Palmeiras with two sides that would know each other very well, have been very close in, in the league table this season so far. That's a big question mark for them. Or is it you, you take on perhaps the stronger side, the more disciplined side, but probably a tougher side to break down perhaps in Boca Juniors? That That's a big if. It, either way, it's a, it's a very different approach they're going to have to take if they make it to the final against the other two semi-finalists. Yeah, I, I mean, just looking at, at Ripper and in the in the quarterfinals in 2017, Ollie, when they went on to to um, uh, yeah, when they, when they progressed past that quarterfinal, they did actually lose in the first leg three nil, and then won the second leg eight nil. But that was against Jorge Wilstermann. It's probably not quite fair <laughs> to uh, compare Jorge Wilstermann to Palmeiras. Listen, they'd need. Then it, football's football and anything could happen and inside five minutes Borre could round Weverton red card penalty and, and suddenly things change but it would uh, it would take something really special I was I was just going to ask you what could Gachado possibly do I mean Carascal it's such a stupid red card from a kid and it's a really childish thing to do and I don't think there's no doubt that he won't start um well, he's be suspended, but you know what I mean. Like he'll, he's he'll uh, he'll have massively fallen out of favour because it's a it's a really stupid moment at uh, a time when Gashado needed the most. So I guess Zuccolini will come in, but it's not like Gashado has that many options, as you mentioned. Maybe Diaz starts instead of Rojas, but these aren't you know these aren't huge decisions really, and it's it's hard to see what Gashado could do in terms of the lineup that would be radically different. He's just got to hope for an awful lot of luck. I think, I think it was very interesting um, and touched on this on a WhatsApp conversation with you in the role that uh, Nico De La Cruz played against Palmeiras because it was a yeah very suppressed performance from Nico De La Cruz was playing far deeper than we've seen him and certainly wasn't trying to stretch Palmeiras at all I wonder if maybe that was because there wasn't the space that he looks to move into or if he was being asked because it was it was quite a narrow formation anyway from Marcelo Gachado. It's that 4-4-2 diamond, if you will, with Carrasco at the top, Enzo Perez behind, Nico de la Cruz just on the left-hand side, and Inacio Fernandez on the right. But Nico de la Cruz has been really good playing as a kind of a dovetail with the yeah. fullback and overlapping each other. And when one goes, the other one takes a slightly more inside channel. And we didn't see those runs either from Casco or Nico de la Cruz as much as we have done. Um, and uh, maybe that was the fear of Ronnie and Menino on that other side. Um, coming the other way and perhaps catch them off guard. But it, it just didn't seem like a, a game and a system that played into probably one of the most important playmakers that River had's qualities. Uh, and they lacked chances at times because of that and not having him involved in the game as much as possible. Um, I don't know. I mean, do you put out some of the younger younger players and, and see what they can do on the big occasion? You mean like an Alvarez or something like that? Yeah. Do you, I mean, I don't think he will, but yeah, I mean... It's the, he's got absolutely nothing nothing to lose. I guess Zuccolini comes in for Carascal, maybe Diaz comes in for Rojas. And then, yeah. I mean, Alvarez, chances. Al- I mean, yeah, maybe. I mean, it's tough. Uh, yeah, well, what, whatever it would be. I, I saw um, Peter Coates uh, was writing about the game, Oli, and he said if Gachado turns this around, forget 2018, this is would be his greatest accomplishment. And at first I was like, I read it, I was like, come on, Pete, like 2018. And then I was like, well, 
if Gashada goes to Brazil with this, I mean, it's not going to happen, I don't think. But but it could be <laughs> you're frowning at me, Oli, on Zoom. But you can see where Pete's coming from. Yeah, I, no, I, I completely agree. If you if you go away from home and the Libertadores trailing three yeah. goals to nil against a, a semi final quality yeah. side, it's it's not like uh, no disrespect to them, but it's not like you know losing against Jorge Wilstermann in Bolivia and then battering them in the second sure, leg sure. because the altitude helps, etc. So yeah, it would be it'd be one of the most remarkable turnarounds I've ever heard of. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. But again, because we're so caught up in the magic of this relationship between River Plate and Gachado and, and, and what we have mm. seen from him when we've been covering it and looking back into the history of Marcelo Gachado as well, there is that little bit, you know, it's 90% on, but there's still that 10% that you're like, if they score early, <laughs> if they score early, there's a chance, you know, that... Nunca sabes. You never know. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to believe. I really think it's going to be an entertaining second leg. Um, and you never know. A couple of tactical mistakes in the uh, in the approach from Palmeiras. Look, it's very easy to have kind of foot off the gas mentality when you've got a 3-0 first, uh, first leg lead. And you don't want to be caught on the back foot early on if they make the adjustments. Expect three at the back, I reckon, for River and fullbacks to be bombing forward and it to be fairly gung-ho. But if... If it... That would certainly free up Nico de la Cruz, wouldn't it? You know, if you bring Diaz into that back three, let Casco and Montiel bomb on, take Carascal out, and that, yeah, it just gives Nico de la Cruz the opportunity to feed to feed the front two. I think, but... I think as well for, for Palmeiras, we'll just quickly, you talk about Patrick de Paula and, uh, and Danilo as well as the, the two in front of that back three that were very good as well at just coming back and sitting in. Danilo in particular was really good as well, just coming in alongside Gomez at times. They were very well organised. They didn't have to play uh, as a Rafael to start the game, which... You know, shows of course they had their Willian on the bench as well. Um, obviously not the Willian, but still a very impressive Willian, nevertheless. Um, didn't have to call on the services of the youngster Gabriel Varon. You know, they, they won at a canter. There's still more adaptability to be shown from them, and there are players that they could bring in where they don't lose anything and perhaps even gain a little bit more in certain situations. Boca nil, Santos nil, Ollie. It's it's a shame that this one was the Libertadores semi-final that was on a watchable hour for a European audience, wasn't it? It was on 10.15, 11.15 for kind of Central Europe, whereas the River Palmeiras was, was in the dead of night, really. Um, I, I, the first thing I thought was no away goal for Santos, but a better result for the Brazilians than the Argentines, I think. Yeah, maybe. I kind of got the feeling towards the end of the 90 minutes that both sides were actually very happy with this. I think Boca perhaps could have easily feared with an aggressive 4-3-3 that Santos played and and they were quite bright as well in the early exchanges and they uh, the hour mark as well there was a spell where they created a lot of pressure with a few chances that forced the odd save from Andrada which again wasn't too testing but you just thought that on another night Santos could have nicked one so I think Boca were probably quite happy to take a nil-nil they do what they do best they they suppress uh, they they soak up pressure when they can at the back and then there are the odd chances or two. And and Tevez had a couple, one from the edge of the area that curled just wide. And, and again, on another night, they will feel they could have taken a 1-0 lead, which is probably what they wanted to go to Brazil with anyway in the manner that they played. I, I think both managers in the end, about 85 minutes, 83 minutes, had kind of settled for a 0-0. And we're like, OK, we'll take that. Because Boca all fancy themselves to have enough to go and get an away goal, I think. Mm. <laughs> Soldano. <laughs> Oli. So he didn't really do much in the game. Um, I, I was thinking, you know how people talk about Roberto Firmino? 
as in like he doesn't score many goals, but it's all about his contribution to the team. Uh, you know, he mm. does so much. And I thought it's the same with Soldano, except he doesn't score many goals and he also doesn't contribute much to the team. So he's kind of, <laughs> he, I just, uh, you know, he's, he's probably a really, really nice guy, Oli. And I'm sure Carlos Devez <laughs> likes playing with him, but Ramon Abila to start the second leg for me. Yeah. Um, Soldano was, for everything that he did that was positive in the second leg of the quarterfinal, the, he completely passed him by this semi-final first leg. Uh, and it was weird that Tevez almost felt and looked like he was having to do double the job with Soldano being so, not disinterested in the game, but it was Salvio and Villa that were going to be the outlets of creativity. And they're great, Tevez, they're great oh, Salvio and Villa. Villa as well in in the first half, I thought was awesome at putting pressure up and down the flanks. He's got so much pace, decent delivery in him as well. And it needed a, a bigger, more powerful, perhaps target man like Abila to, to get onto some of the deliveries. But Soldano got the nod. I think you would understand why Miguel Angel Russo went with Soldano after the performance that he put in in the in the second leg of the quarterfinal. Now, okay, let's adjust. But they've got the adjustment there if they need. Sure, it. I think I, I WhatsApp you during the game and I said, "Can you imagine if Boca had uh, a Gabi goal, a Borre, a Luis Adriano as that focal point, and then Salvio and Villa either side, and Tevez just dropped in the pocket? That would be." It, it would. I mean, it sounds an obvious thing to say about any club that, or how they could do with a great number nine. Obviously, every club could do with a great number nine. But that Boca side, there's a lot to like about it. And I just feel like with those two wingers, if you had a Luis Adriano up front, it could be a real game changer. If Boca can go and, I know money's tight, always tight in Argentine football, especially tight during a, a pandemic. But yeah. if they could somehow find a way to get a top striker, it could it could be a game changer in 2021. They're just, yeah, it's somebody inside the 18-yard box. That was what we always lobbied at Gabby Goal was he's not a great creator, but he is just the finisher that will be there. And that is what they need with Tevez orchestrating things behind. Unfortunately, yeah. I mean, Abila could, can still be that. It's It's mm. been injuries that have, have hampered him, really. He was that last year for them. And if you had Abila from last season as the lone front man with Tevez just off him, it's probably a far better looking side than they are with Soldano right now. I just, it's just unfortunate that we haven't been treated to that because of the inv- injuries. Yeah. Um, what did we think of the Santos boss, Kuka? What did we think of his half-time team talk, Ollie, with the players still out on the pitch? Who is the whole manager? Uh, years it was it Br- Phil Brown or uh, new, Phil Brown numerous managers have the... done it over the years, but for, uh, Phil Brown for some reason is the one that's kind of uh, that resonates in my, in my mind. Do, do we do we know why he did that or what the reason? I mean, I, I know haven't it's seen summer anything in Argentina, that... but I haven't seen anything that says why. Um, I thought it was interesting because obviously, like the cameras were focusing on the tactical board that they had up <laughs> yeah. um, a, cu- a couple of occasions. It's like if you're in the Boca dressing room, like brilliant. <laughs> just got a look at everything that they, yeah, like the yeah, shape yeah. they want to give us, and it was very interesting actually. How even on that tactical board, you saw it was heavily weighted to the left side pushing forward the most, with Mourinho and Co. Jorge being the uh, the two kind of almost going from left to right. It was going to be Soteldo highest up the pitch, down the left flank, and the other two in a diagonal row, just peeling back slightly, which I think we already saw from the first half anyway. So it didn't give us that much of an <laughs> yeah. intrigue, I suppose. But I, but I liked it. I liked it. I liked look, keep him out there. Sure. Why do you want to go into the depths of La Bombonera? Doesn't matter. Yeah. 
in an away dressing room where you don't feel comfortable. Sure. When you've got all this space, you've got no fans that are going to be harassing you while you do it. Yeah. Different, you know, if there's 66,000 Boca fans in there, there's no way that halftime team talk <laughs> is taking place on the touchline. But it's empty. Yeah. So do what you yeah, want. Yeah, quite like Have it. a bit of freedom, bit of open space, bit of cool air. It was warm. It, yeah, I, I, th- yeah. I thought it was quite funny how some of the... Um, Santos players, as they were kind of back on the pitch at half time, there was a couple of cameras on them, and they were doing the footballer hand over the lips, like don't don't uh, read my lips, kind of thing. You know, when yeah. they do that, and I was like, hang on, we've just seen your tactical board, guys, like <laughs> which has been on camera. The camera's like done a slow zoom into it, so we've seen your tactics, and now the players are kind of whispering under their hand, uh, which I thought yeah. was a bit surreal. But um, yeah, no, it was, it was something a little bit different. Soteldo, well, he was pretty annoyed. He was pretty pissed off that he was substituted. I think. Yeah, it would be if I was him too. Totally. He played really well. Aside from being a commentator's dream with that kind of peroxide blonde hair. Yeah. He's just he's just got something. He's just that one of those players that you fizz the ball into his feet and there's if you're if you're just a, a fan inside the ground, there's that little shift. Like something could happen. He's exciting. He's the South American Barry Bannon. <laughs> Easy to pick out yeah. uh, as a commentator. Yeah. Stands out in the game. Sure. He is that little playmaker that will try a lot of things, but every so often, and probably more than Barry Bannon gets in, to Soteldo's favour, um, things will come off. And if he keeps trying and keeps working, and he had players around him that can latch on to what he was trying to create, he caused real problems for Hara and Lopez as the back two on that side trying to deal with him. And you never felt that he was kept under wraps because he's always happy to drop deep. It's like a, a younger, less terrier-like version of Tevez in that sense. Like He's happy to drop deep, move out wide, which he was playing anyway, and pick up those positions on the top left of the 18-yard box, get support on the overlap or go inside, and happy to provide service or, or try and create opportunities for himself. You didn't really know what he was going to do, but you always knew he was going to try something that was going to try and break down this Boca defence. And it, it was kind of a baffling change when, uh, when Kaka bought him off anyway. So Kuka bought him off anyway. I thought I really didn't understand uh, why Soteldo, no. aside from maybe a lack of final product, but at least he was trying stuff as opposed to Mourinho. I mean, you'll hear some of the few highlights that we have of it, but like Mourinho was just wasting wild, chance after chance yeah. after chance uh, and reckless yeah. abandon <laughs> in terms of shooting from distance. Yeah. Um, and it's not like he got one close. No, no. He had no right after the first free the kick. The free kick's when... just silly. And the worst thing is, is I always think that as a as a as someone that hasn't played the game professionally, like I shouldn't be able to see exactly what's about to happen. And when he when he takes a 20-yard run-up for that free kick, it's like, what I think is about to happen can't actually happen because that means I'm not, like, the footballer out there is no more intelligent than me. And the fact that he just has this 20-yard run-up <laughs> and then spoons it 50 yards over the bar, I was like, yep, that's pretty much what I thought would happen. Isn't it weird how one goal in pretty much an international friendly changed free kick taking? Like that free <laughs> kick style is only there because of Roberto Carlos's amazing yeah. free kick. But if you look back at Roberto Carlos's free kick record, it's not very good. No, sure. In the same way that um, Cristiano Ronaldo's free kick record isn't that good. He takes so many, sure. so few comparatively compared to, uh, I mean, there was a thing with Juventus a year or so ago that was uh, Dybala and... Um, Oh, God, the guy um, plays for Bosnia and Herzegovina in the middle of the park. Begins with a P. This is going to irritate me. Anyway, but yeah, um, both had like fantastic free kicks on them and were shoved out and taken offset pieces as soon as Ronaldo came in. And Ronaldo's free kick accuracy was a good like 20. Perisic, there, there we go. 
No, not Perisic. No, I know who no, it is. We can't carry on this conversation until we find out, Norley, because that's annoyed me. <laughs> um, but it will be. Uh, yeah, it was. It, both of them had their accuracy was like twenty percent better than Ronaldo. But because Ronaldo is Ronaldo, it, he got to take the free kicks and and he takes them from that sort of distance and smashes them over the bar as well. Pjanic. But it's just funny how Robert Pjanic. There we go. That's irritating that that's dropped out of my head completely. Um, but yeah, it just it's crazy how Roberto Carlos's free kick style from that tournoi free kick. I love it. Was I incredible. Love the fact it's one of the remember, best goals ever. Mate, it was the great Le tournoi. That's proper of our age group. That's like vintage. Must have been what 13, 14, like just getting into football properly. And it was just a pre France ninety. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. It's a great international tournament. <laughs> that one. Um, but that free kick has changed and, and given people like Mourinho the idea that, oh, it could happen again. But Ooh, mate, most, most damagingly for me, it, and this is only something that's happened the last two or three years, and I think we've talked about this off pod, how the, the stuttered penalty run-up has become the new mm. Penenka. So Penenka got like over... The whole point of the Penenka is that it has the element of surprise, right? And it's like one in a thousand penalties is a Penenka, and therefore it's like, okay, yeah, because the goalkeeper doesn't expect it. Then everyone started doing the Penenka, and, and then too many were saved, so people stopped doing the Penenka. And then it became this hop, skip, and a jump run-up. Which is also stuff. Yeah, which uh, Pulga, the flea, did a yeah, lot. In yeah. the, um, he had like three or four penalties in the Copper Sudl at the end, last year in the quarterfinal, semifinal, yeah. and final. And he did this like, yeah, walk, skip up, That's and it. then hit it with the instant. Surreal. And he missed the one in the final doing that in the end, the, the most costly one of all. But yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Weird things happen in South American football. Look, let's um, <laughs> let's listen to the highlights from uh, from Boca against Santos and get back on track. Uh, get back to the game rather than bitching and moaning about old football stuff. Y bienvenidos a la bombonera al estadio Alberto. J. Armando para la segunda semifinal de esta Conmebol Libertadores. Va por izquierda, si se organiza boca puesta en primera, está Villa, Villa, Villa. El travesaño se salva Santos en la primera que llega Boca. Se tira por derecha, cae Jorge Mariño desde afuera. Y en dos tiempos, Esteban Andrada. Justo le queda Carlos Tevez, ahora por derecha, a ver qué puede hacer justo, si espera un segundito más, el remate. John que la saca, tiro de esquina para Boca. Y ahí está para Carlos Tevez, siempre cometen este error mínimo, ahí está Tevez, que puede pasar entre dos Tevez, que se perfila y le pasa por un lado cerca. Se podía. Pero lo recupera Mariño, a ver qué pasa. Penal tonto porque había ganado bien la posición y izquierda. Lo están, y lo están viendo. Oli, if you give, at the start of the tournament, if you tell Santos their 90 minutes at home, a victory at home away in 90 minutes of reaching the final, obviously they bite your hand off. That's the situation they're in. And of course they could draw on their performance in the you know in the quarterfinals beating Gremio at home in that second leg 
you know they, they don't have the they don't have the away goal, but but Santos are going to fancy this, I reckon. I mean, look, they've the the beaten Gremio impressively in the quarterfinals. Whether it was as impressive, I think you and I are still a little split on that. Um, but I, you know, I will I will say the the front three. If if Jefferson Soteldo plays the ninety minutes of that game, I think Boca is still having trouble. Um, John, the the keeper for. Uh, Santos produced some good saves. I mean, defensively, it was a tough watch at times. Like, there was a lot of the game played in the middle third, it has to be said. There was a lot of possession from both sides. Um, we, we spoke about it on the on the preview podcast about how Santos aren't necessarily great at breaking teams down. Sotelo does provide that for them. Mourinho as well, um, arguably should have had that penalty, as we heard there. And, you know, the Spanish-Argentinian commentators were like, Ooh, oh, not sure about that. And a lot of people seemed to think that that was a penalty, even when VAR had a look at it, wasn't given. Um, but I, th- I think they showed enough to show that on home soil, if they feel comfortable, they've got enough to beat Boca. There's no doubt that they can do it. And not necessarily go completely toe-for-toe, but regardless of Boca being, you know, if, if Boca play at their best, they should win. If Boca are just Boca or they're less than Boca, then Santos have got a fantastic chance of beating them on home soil, without a doubt. It, it's whether there's this kind of perfect coming together, though, of everything coming right at the right time. Whereas I think Boca have got this... They're like the anti-football in this tournament, it feels. Um, and, and I didn't enjoy backing them at the start of this tournament, but I just thought it's it's tournament football. If they get out of the group stages, which they should do, the kind of style they play, it's, it's so frustrating for, for fans, for opposition, to, to break down... And if they can get it right up top, if Abila perhaps starts next week or if Tevez can produce a couple of moments of magic, I mean, he forced some saves out of John and, and Benwan yeah, just wide of the lively. far post in the second half, they, they could have they could have won it. They could have had the result that they want. So I still think it's Bocca's probably to have. But Santos have shown they've got the stability and they've definitely got the, the ability in the front line to cause problems for Bocca. What do you think about the penalty, by the way? Did you think? It's one of those for me that sums up why... VAR will never pacify like the request for truth as in you could it's it's just indefinable and I'm, I don't, I'm not trying to be too sort of philosophical about it all Ollie but do you know what I mean it's it's simply that like for me it's not a penalty but equally I can see why it would be a penalty I, for me it's just an indef- it's it's one of those that's just there will always be an element whether whether while human beings play football and while human beings make the decisions about the rules of football, there will always be a grey area there. And it does, you can bring in all the technology, all the replays, all the VAR you want, but that it, it's a grey area. For some people, it's a pen. For some people, it's not. It's a 60-40 against for me. You? Yeah, it's... Um, if he got... If Izquierdos is behind Mourinho and makes that challenge and makes that sort of contact, it's a pen, without a doubt. But it's not even shoulder to shoulder. Izquierdos actually gets his body in front of the forward. And that's just great positioning by a defender. And so he's physical. He's robust with it. He doesn't necessarily touch the ball. But he turns Mourinho off the ball and takes possession away from him. So I can see why it's not given, to be honest. For me, it's (laughs) 50-50. One referee one night gives it. Another referee doesn't. Uh, You know, the... It looked initially like it was given, and then perhaps it was overturned by VAR, and I've not seen a clarification if it was given initially or not. But it's um, 
I wouldn't have been surprised either way. I think Boca could count themselves lucky and unlucky in the same instance, sure. as could Santos. Predictions then, Mr. Wilson. I take it you're not going to predict a River Plate miracle. Uh, yeah, I mean, no, no, no sane human could predict River Plate will reach the final. 2-2. Yeah. I think River I think River go like 2-0 up and then we get excited and it's just they overstretch themselves. That's the, that's the dangerous thing about Palmeiras if if there's space in behind there's always a that chance of a goal. goal. You know, 2-0 I think you think well there's no fans in the ground like home advantage isn't that big a deal. River score first but the third goal I think I think kills it and I think I just can't see how Palmeiras don't score. Um mm. and not having Carrascal. I mean that is you know, it's a moment of madness from him, but he's sure. a very useful player in the middle of the park for them. And then you so. think Bocca will get through? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I do. I like 2-0. I think they hold Santos out. As good as Santos looked at times coming forward, I still think Andrade maybe had one really testing save to produce. And the rest of them were either shots from distance that Bocca will take all day long or efforts right at the keeper which again, they were just defensively good at not giving away those channels, those holes for the forwards to fire into the corners. So yeah, I think Boca defensively can handle Santos and they'll go through 2-0. You know, I'd always been quite on the fence about the who's a better goalkeeper, Armani or Andrada, <laughs> but it's Andrada, isn't it? And I'm not just saying that because of that. I mean, it was a really poor error actually from Armani in a, in a really, really important game you know yeah. and, and it, was, it was almost a double error because not to sort of scroll back too much, but you know, he, he, he slides in, gives the ball to Ronnie and then he can't position himself and he gets like a half a glove on the strike and yeah but I, I think Andrade's just about tipped it um for me I uh, go on just to be um just to go against you Wilson I think Santos will will, will find a way I think Soteldo I think he likes the stage yeah I think he was furious to come off and I, I just think at home what they did against Gremio and I know you think I've hyped out but I just think that what they did against Gremio they'll take a lot of confidence from um yeah, I think Santos to sneak through and make it an all-Brazilian final. They but need they need more see. from Caio Jorge. A lot do. more, a lot more. Again, he's another... a kid, but I mean, yeah, he didn't. He offered nothing really, aside from the odd bit of movement. But yeah, yeah, we shall see. I don't think a side can win the Copa Libertadores with Franco Soldano up front. That's all I'd say. I can't wait to clip that off. <laughs> I cannot wait to clip that off. What's that? 36 minutes into my recording here. Okay. <laughs> You're really backing Boca. You can't win a tournament with Soldano as the front man. so much everyone as always for listening to Wilson and Winter's Libertadores podcast guys please do get in touch with us on Twitter I'm at David T Windsor at David T Windsor and my colleague the great Mr Oliver James Wilson is at O underscore J underscore Wilson we also have an email address up and running would you believe so please do uh, send your questions to willwinpod at gmail.com all one word will one L win pod at gmail.com Com. We'd love to hear your thoughts, contemplations, criticisms on football, life, the Libertadores and beyond. It's a real pleasure, actually, for myself and Ollie to bring you this podcast and bring together this small but actually rapidly growing community of football fans based across the world that are just obsessed with the Copa Libertadores. So see you next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.